Thanks to its stunning architecture and historic buildings, Edinburgh has earned the nickname of the Athens of the North. But at one point, you could have been mistaken for thinking Edinburgh was more the Venice of the North. You only need to go back 300 years or so to a time when Edinburgh was home to multiple lochs, the most famous being the Norloch that filled the glen that Princess Street Gardens now occupies. Over the years, development of the city has seen almost all of these lochs disappear, and the two natural lochs that remain, Duddingston and Loch End Loch, are shadows of their former self. Duddingston Loch is now a small loch at the foot of Arthur's Seat. The loch had much historical significance. In 1778, a dredger pulled up a hoard of 3,000-year-old weapons that had been thrown into the waters by Bronze Age people who lived in the area. The 1795 painting, The Skating Minister, by Henry Rayburn, shows the Reverend Robert Walker skating on Duddingston Loch. Extremely shallow by Scottish loch standards, at only nine feet deep, it's said to be a tenth of the size it once was, as it once reached over to an area we now call the Inch. Inch is the anglicisation of the Celtic word Innes, which means island, and it's the Inch that forms our unlikely setting for today's story. The Inch lies a couple of miles to the south of the city centre, now consisting of a housing development first built in the 1950s. Although now a built-up residential area, there are still some clues to its ancient heritage. Within Inch Park stands Inch House, a Grade A listed building now used as a community centre, which, in previous incarnations, had a recording studio. The band Goodbye Mr Mackenzie once recorded there, and was originally a country house built by the Winram family in the 17th century. There's also the Old Inch Ducat, another Grade A listed building, and for a Ducat, it's big, bigger than some of the surrounding houses. One interesting quirk is that many of the street names have a link to Sir Walter Scott and Rabbi Burns. There is Sir Walter Scott Avenue, Ivanhoe Crescent, Lammermoor Terrace and Hazeldean Terrace. It's in Hazeldean Terrace that this story takes place. It was a Wednesday in early 1957, not long after the development of the Inch finished, that Mr and Mrs Curry of Hazeldean Terrace first started noticing unusual activity around their three-bedroom house. The first strange occurrence was typical poltergeist activity, senseless and bizarre, and happened one day when Mrs Curry was in her kitchen cooking. As she worked away on her counter, there was a sudden thud behind her. Startled, she spun round, looking for the source of the noise, and on the ground she noticed a wooden chopping board that had seemingly been thrown to the floor. The board, the kind used to cover the kitchen sink, was tight-fitting and flush with the sink contours, so unlikely to slip off and fall. But being a rational person, Mrs Curry thought no more of it. Picking up the board and carrying on with her cooking, she put the incident out of her mind. Until it happened again. The following Wednesday arrived and the Curries were relaxing in their living room when the peace and quiet was interrupted by a thud from the kitchen. Thinking the vibrations from passing traffic had possibly knocked something off a shelf, 
Mr. Curry walked through to the kitchen to pick up whatever had fallen and was surprised to find the chopping board on the floor. Being unaware of the previous occurrence, he picked it up, put it back, then made his way back through to retake his seat. Mrs. Curry had an inquiring mind and naturally asked what the source of the noise was, and when Mr. Curry explained what he found, she remembered the events of the previous week. But thinking this was just a coincidence, the Currys convinced themselves there was no more to it. That was until the following Wednesday, when again the chopping board, lifted by a seemingly invisible hand, once more flew off the kitchen counter and onto the floor. The next event saw the same board leaping across the room to land with a loud bang on the kitchen table in front of Mrs Curry. Now there was no doubt, these were not coincidences and the movement was not down to passing traffic. The spirit, whatever it was, soon grew tired of the chopping board and turned its attention elsewhere. The chopping board had been the focal point up until now and was the main source of activity for a period of time, but then the family started finding cups and mugs broken. As is often found with many poltergeist cases, the actions, as bizarre as they were, seemed pointless and random with no message being deciphered or delivered. Mrs Curry described one unusual incident where she had retired to her bed for the evening and had left the couple's record player normally in the living room and a Jacobean-style tumbler next to the kitchen sink. They were awoken to a terrible sound coming from the kitchen. Mr Curry immediately raced downstairs to confront an intruder but found no one in the house. What he did find though was the record player smashed on the draining board next to the sink. Not on the floor, but still next to the sink where it had been left. Nothing had fallen on it and there were no signs someone had been in the house and had set about destroying it, but it was destroyed. The Jacobean style tumbler however was on the floor and broken but instead of smashed to pieces like the record player, it was seemingly split perfectly in two. Soon the events caught the attention of the local media and reporters descended on the house. Mrs Curry agreed to be interviewed by journalists from the Evening Dispatch, telling one reporter about the incident with the record player. I used to go upstairs to bed, leaving these objects in the kitchen. When I came down one morning, they were broken. Oddly though, the tumbler, a thick Jacobean type, hadn't disintegrated, even though it landed on the thick concrete of the kitchen floor. It was, however, broken clean in half. If smashed record players weren't enough, the curries were soon subject to disturbing nightly noises. Being a heavy sleeper, Mr Curry at first wasn't aware of the noises, but Mrs Curry would hear them, and at first they started off as barely audible thuds, just enough to wake her up, but eventually they evolved into frightening events that would inevitably wake up Mr Curry. These noises, almost always at 3am, emanated from the kitchen and were described by Mrs Curry as like wood being hit with a heavy object. Mrs Curry explained to the journalists from the evening dispatch, When I first heard the strange noises, I was frightened to tell my husband in case he laughed at me but when he experienced them himself, he was forced to take it seriously. 
Each night, these terrifying sounds permeated the still of the night and kept the tormented couple awake. Reporters decided to get in on the act and, trying to prove the existence of the spirit for their readers, set up experiments to test the veracity of the Curry's claims. In one experiment, they attached a string from the chopping board to the trigger of a camera and waited, hoping to catch the board fly off, or, more likely, a human agent playing tricks on people. The kitchen door was locked and the room left alone until 3am, when a loud bang emanated from, you guessed it, the kitchen. They rushed in and found a glass tumbler smashed on the floor, not the expected board. Plus, nobody was around. Not only was their glass tumbler again split in half on the floor, but the kitchen rug was lying in a heap next to the counter. As the camera was set to trigger if the board moved, and it didn't, Nothing was captured on film. Reporters were however confident that no one could have made it in or out without being noticed and went as far as to say this in their article. For the next three years, the activity continued, eventually waning until, in 1960, it appeared to have stopped. Mrs Curry would go on to say that the activity did them no harm other than to occasionally break some china and crockery. As a teenager, I went to school near the Inch, and most of my friends lived in the area, so I was always aware that I wasn't too far from a haunted house. Stories of the place were rife, and although it's several miles from the battlefield, some people believed the spirit was the ghost of a Jacobean soldier who'd fought at the Battle of Preston Pants. This link is perhaps due to the Jacobean tumbler that was found split in half early on in the haunting. As I knew the history of the house, I'd make a point of steering well clear of the street when I was in the area. As Mrs Curry once said, I prefer not to meddle with the spirits and things I don't understand. It's all best left alone. 